Red on Red. This week on the podcast, we're joined by Ghost King is Dead bassist, messing and solo multi-instrumentalist, and music journalist, JJ Lee.
happy with Shut Up ahead of their gigs this weekend. Tomorrow night at the Roundy with Land Crabs in support. Doors at 9 o'clock, a fiver in. And on Friday night with the Slut Club at O'Canis in Mallow as part of the Mallow Arts Festival. Entry is free for that one. We also have Ghost King is Dead with Deflector, most recent single available from Houseu Records and for streaming across all good streaming services. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast dropping every Wednesday evening via Cork's Red FM and redextra.ie. We're also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all your other podcasting apps and platforms. My name is Mike McGrath, Brian, and this week we're joined in studio by Ghost King is Dead bass player, messing and solo multi-instrumentalist, music journalist, uh, gig promoter, Teletext <laughs> Records boy, uh, just a man of many talents and a man about town, Mr. JJ Lee. JJ, what's the crack? How are you? Grand, no, it's a pleasure to have you here finally as the other bass playing music journalist in town. We're going we're gonna to twist some ears, we're going to have some really boring conversation, but first, it's been a really busy weekend for you. You're just off of uh, the back of Knock and Stockin' with the boys in Messing. Uh, Knock and Stockin', of course, one of the very few festivals that books exclusively Irish talent, a celebration of the DIY scene and culture in Ireland. And Messing were right in the thick of it, from what I can see. Yeah, we were. God, we were actually like really taken aback with the the crowd that we got up there. Um, like it was a beautiful festival, and like fair play to all the organisers, and especially the the guys down at the Rasher Factory stage that we were on, um, which was a highlight. It was the one thing I was seeing in my social media. Crack yeah, boy, messing it was all the lads. Great crack. Yeah, it was. It kind of we slot in there perfectly in our own little weird, uh, whatever world you want to call it. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it kind of really helped us as well that the people that went to that stage kind of knew already what they were getting into. Yeah, it was going to be a bit weird and a bit strange. But yeah, we got a great crowd in there, and they were all up for it. And 
they kind of shared the anti-Healy Ray sentiment they were loving that the anti-Healy Ray sentiment is exactly what we're living for yeah and it's not just because we're from Cork obviously <laughs> yeah here on Cork's Red FM 104 to 106 uh, but speaking of being a busy boy lately you also have something of an announcement something of a scoop for us on the Red on Red yeah. podcast come on to us now bit of a scoop uh, I'm going to be putting out my second single there next week uh, August Woo! 1st hopefully anyway all things going well but uh, yeah, we're going to try and put it out there next week and uh, it's called Showbiz Baby and uh, much like the first single Thursday, I, I can't sing of all things, I just can't do it. So I've used a lot of uh, sound bites and stuff and this one is basically just all of uh, Eamon Dunphy. Yeah. It's just clips of him going off on people. That's what um, you want. Exactly, yeah. It was great. I was just on a bit of a YouTube binge there one day, yeah. uh, just searching through stuff and all the clips of Eamon just coming up, especially from like World Cup 2002 era when he's just kind of half smashed on air a lot, <laughs> an awful lot and uh, he's just going off on people on live television we'll talk a little bit about that because sampling and Irish popular culture factors in hugely into what you do with messing but your solo career then is kind of a bedroom pop take on that and we'll talk about that in due course but let's let's dial it back a little bit um, you're from the tourism hub of Ballyhoig in County Kerry, which in and of itself is kind of among a cluster of small towns that has weird music people in and around it, whether you want to call it North Kerry noise, whether it is other things that are happening, boys like Aerialist, etc. There's generally been like a good outflow of fantastical musical weirdos from that general area. Maybe bring us into the condition of growing up kind of among that set or kind of attempting to kind of bring together whatever kind of mini scene you can out of North Kerry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think an awful lot of what used to happen for us in an outlet that we had was in Tralee, uh, the nearest town to us. Um, they had the KDYS there, the, the youth centre basically, and they used to run gigs kind of weekly or kind of every second week yeah. there inside in town, which was just a great outlet for young people to go in and play music and just go in and be allowed to make noise without annoying anyone and just being told to... to put it all out there it doesn't matter what it is people were and everyone there was like really receptive and I think an awful lot of what's coming out of Kerry now um, is people that played in that um, that area back when they were 13, 14, 15 um, we've just kind of grown up and gotten a bit stranger of course <laughs> basically and yeah it, it's just it's that same kind of hub of people like I've known people like Danny and Donna from Teletext and Messing um, I knew Danny, I went to school with him, I went to secondary school with him, and I knew Donna from being around in kind of musical scenes. And the likes of PJ Galvin, who goes under scenes, who's actually, well, he's abroad now, but was living in Limerick for ages. I knew him through that um, as well. And yeah, just all those people kind of, it's a great thing down below at home. Uh, people are just happy to see anything coming out of there. Yeah. So when somebody actually comes out and is doing something, we're all like, oh, good man, fair play. In terms then of picking up the bass as your primary instrument... Because that always seems to be the go-to for mm. kind of musos and nerds that kind of know when to kind of pick a role for themselves in a band, so to speak, or make themselves useful to a band. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're in the KDYS and you're making your initial kind of, your initial kind of noises. What motivates you to pick up a bass and begin occupying the kind of organizer role in tandem to that? Yeah, um, I think when I was very young anyway, I started off playing guitar as most people would, kind of that sort of a way. And it was more so out of necessity at a very early age. Uh, not that nobody was willing to play bass, but everyone wanted to be the cool fella up the front <laughs> playing guitar or either singing, yep. uh, that sort of a way. So I was kind of uh, politely asked, shall we say, in no uncertain terms, would I play bass? And of course, I was just happy to be up there 
making tunes and having the crack so like that early days it was just kind of more so out of necessity and once I stopped there was a kind of a period there in my teenage years when I was just in my room just kind of tipping away and whatever yeah. with playing guitar and noodling away but uh, I wasn't playing gigs or anything and then once I came up to Cork here in college and kind of got stuck back into things uh, it, it was kind of like a, a similar thing where it was born out of necessity again asking oh we need a bass player can you play bass and me going yeah I haven't done it in years but absolutely yeah I'll do it let's get into that then because you come to Cork for college and as you mentioned you were immediately kind of snapped up to play in a couple of different bands the most high profile of which would be Dry Roasted Peanuts first off where did the name come from? Uh, you'd have to ask Mark and Rob that from the band uh, it was kind of a running joke that in any interview that we had you'd always give a different answer I think I remember Rob right, one day talking about how I think he just saw a bag of peanuts one day and was just kind of going yeah that'll do Food as band names is something that's can be a bit contentious. Yeah. I mean, uh, was it Number Theory from um, from Humans of the Sesh was going on at length there about the indie band called Cabbage and how yeah. that was deeply uninspired. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, was that just in my mind when, like, you know, uh, full disclosure, I write the Nile or Nine Cork gig guide and putting dry roasted peanuts on that was kind of like <laughs> yeah. a uniquely all-ages gig yeah. Yeah, Irish yeah. phenomenon alongside all these other things that were happening like Gilbert or what have you. Yeah. Getting into the Cork scene and getting familiar with really, which at the time, maybe three, four years ago, the city was already in the process of beginning to change. Venue turnover had slowed down, but was still a thing. We were about to lose the community arts centres like the Camden, like Sample. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your initial grappling around the Cork music scene. Yeah, um, when I arrived up here first anyway I just I think nearly for about a year exclusively it was just playing gigs in Fred's yeah. Fred Zeppelin's of course which is a great outlet for anyone that wants to get in making music um, especially for like the metal scene that's in the city that is booming it's the only outlet for the it, metal scene that's it you know and it's a fantastic venue to have there um, but yeah like that I'd say for a good year anyway solid it was just gigs there and there was nowhere really else you could even put on a gig feasibly if you wanted yeah. then places kind of started popping up Spalpin Fawlock started putting on gigs again uh, the Kino reopened which was fantastic um, sad news about them too yeah exactly Yeah, it's a shame to see that go down as well mm. um, but yeah and then you've got the likes of Jim over Unplugged doing great stuff upstairs in the roundy that's fantastic to have that going and um yeah, slowly but surely there's more kind of spaces opening up again and um, just just making it accessible. I think accessibility is the real yeah. the real core of it. I think once the recession hit and bar guarantees stopped being a thing, Absolutely. deposits on gigs, etc. Because those, those can be the things that stop an 18-year-old to 21-year-old uh, you know, in a band that's looking to just kind of either go in with other bands on getting things organised or even like say just even small scale tours going around the place if there's nobody that can afford to facilitate Absolutely. a band coming in from another town you know, but they can at least afford to you know, give them a floor to sleep on at the very least these are the things that can stop you know, grassroots musical development from happening in the first place so you know, again the diversity of small spaces is great and again you see the the expansion of Cypress Avenue, you see other venues kind of coming along. See Dali, even with their blockbuster announcement today now, with John Hopkins playing there as part of Sounds from a Safe Harbour. It's huge. What a get. Things seem to have really come around. Against that backdrop, uh, you yourself transition from a role with Dry Roasted Peanuts in that kind of indie punk mould and into something that is becoming a bit more sophisticated. 
uh, in the guise of joining the Ghost King is Dead band. Ghost King, of course, uh, the bedroom pop project of Matt Corrigan, who had been hanging around since... I remember first seeing him when he was 14, 15. When we were hanging around Room 101 Studios and he was looking for yeah. gigs and we were broadcasting the Camden Palace uh, all-ages gigs in there. Uh, Room101radio.eu for Cork Community Radio, folks. But I remember him even then having his ideas, having his concepts. How did you find getting involved with that and slotting into it, bringing your own touch to the table as Ghost King becomes Ghost King is Dead and Hausu begins to begins to crystallise? Um, yeah, Matt's a fantastic chap. Uh, I was actually introduced to him through Chris, Chris O'Sullivan, who's one of my best friends in, in the country, in the world, we'll say. Yeah. Um, he was the drummer in Dry Roast Prenance as well. Um, and Matt got in contact with him first and said, look, I'm looking to form a band, look for a bass player. Chris put me up to it. I'd never met Matt before. I'd listened to one or two of the, the tracks that he had up on Spotify and other things like that. Yeah. And uh, I was just delighted to be asked. And we went up and we had a rehearsal up in Blackpool. Just booked it out for a few hours just to see. We were kind of going in from scratch. Uh, it was myself, Chris, uh, Neil O'Sullivan Green on guitar and Matt. And uh, yeah, it, it was literally, it was very, very, very seamless. It was fantastic. It's just one of the things that kind of worked straight away. And it was kind of happy days from there then, really. Um, I think about, it was only about two months on, I think, from that practice that Matt had organised a gig. And giving then, himself something to shoot for as well as getting yeah, the rest exactly, of the Yeah, exactly. It just kind of gave it a bit of kick up the hill. And House 2 has come together so quickly since like last week's episode is available for streaming now on redfm.ie redextra.ie and all of your apps we're talking to Colm Callan of House 2 Records about how the whole project came together and what it's been doing for the development of the young artists that are involved in the collective kind of what's your take being involved with the collective of your own with Teletext which we'll talk about in a bit more detail later on but also seeing how it's providing a bulwark against some of the excesses of the music industry for Ghost King Z. What's your take on it? Uh, the house of thing is great. Um, I remember Matt very early on saying that there was some sort of a, an idea being bandied about with the collective. And once it got off the ground, I was really impressed with the lads and their work ethic, especially with Cullum and his drive and his great vision. Yeah. You know, he always seems like he's just two or three steps ahead. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I think it's just a great platform there to have all the lads in kind of making... Not, not similar music, but in a similar vein that they can bounce ideas off. Um, and they're all fantastic producers, all of the lads. Uh, like Drew, Drew Linen, they're from Automatic Blue and um, Actual Acid as well. It's just fantastic stuff. And to kind of have those sounding boards as well as like an artist and trying to write things, it's it's great to just have someone either reassure you or be tell you that it's it's crap, basically. Yeah. And go back to square one. So yeah, the host of thing... And, it, even with the, like the booking of the gigs and stuff um, it's great to put on like these big house nights yeah where people kind of know what they're getting like uh, on August the 1st in Cypress Avenue exactly yeah next week um, yeah so the house lads really good stuff um, and it, it's just so impressive I, I I honestly don't know how they keep up to it like running a collective ourselves um, they're just so on the ball with like their visuals and the organisation side of things fair play to them Separate then from your development as a musician, both with Ghost King is Dead and solo, you begin to be involved with, oh, God knows what you'd refer to it as in terms of like journalist-friendly subgenres. <laughs> uh, but the musical project that is known, therefore, as Messing with a Y, 
uh, emerges from practices and collaborations that you have with other members of it. For those of us that are not wretched enough of mind to try and grasp <laughs> its, uh, its membership from the very, very beginning, talk to us a little bit about the project, how it came together, what the fuck you're up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was actually born out of, um, was it last year or the year before, uh, when the snow hit that time around uh, April yeah. or March, and everything just shut down. It was actually Danny O'Shea and Donna Shukru, who I'm in teletext with, uh, they were living together at the time and decided that they'd write an electronic EP mm. in a day. And so I think they just basically got a load of wine into them <laughs> and just decided that this is what was going to happen. So yeah. they wrote what was... What was to become the first messing EP, um, and they came to me with it already done and said, "Would you be interested in getting involved in this?" And I said, "Absolutely, <laughs> this sounds gas crack." Um, How do you extrapolate those ideas to live? And yeah, it was ju- like when we started it, um, we thought people would obviously recognize it straight away for what it was, in that it was like a thundering joke. It was like many bands have started as thundering jokes. Yeah. It, we kind of thought we're going to be found out so easily with this so I think we booked a no it was a charity gig we didn't book it but we were playing it um, a few months afterwards and people lapped it up they completely the joke flew over most of the people's heads now there was was that that showcase the type of stuff no there was uh, it was god where was it I think it was the poor relation it was a charity gig there you go and um, we just decided that we had a bit of a brainstorming sesh. We never practiced either, but we had a brainstorming sesh where we'd all wear really uh, hipstery, cool clothes of the time. And I had this idea to put up a projector behind us and just project clips onto it. You're just asking for trouble there. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the clips that we just decided, kind of like a shoegazy style of a clip, but I just used all like, old VHS footage from RTE <laughs> and reading in the ears and stuff. And just put a weird filter over it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the joke kind of was lost in a lot of people. And But if people get into it. You no, know, people were like, they, they enjoyed it and everyone had a great time. And then we decided that we'd write a song in the summer, which came out to be Bodies. Which, which has got a lot of play as well that early ended on up, in the runs of yeah, the podcast here. That, that got picked up. We got a, a few spins on 2FM from Dan Hegarty as well, which was just baffling because Donna will attest to the fact that he never mastered that track. <laughs> That's not even mastered. That was just put up like it. Your most recent release, uh, the Crespo tape. The Crespo tapes, which, yeah. Which never, which, which never fails to crease me up when I think of Fernand Crespo being <laughs> immortalised in that respect. Uh, out in Skaldwave Records. Big up to the Skaldwave lads. Do you uh, care to clue us in on what exactly Skaldwave is, much less its record? <laughs> Skaldwave... Uh, the name kind of gives it all away, really. It's just Scowly Tunes, basically. Um, There's a whole band camp of this. Scowled Wave. Scowled Wave Records. S-C-A-U-L-D Wave Records. Bandcamp.com. I, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice if I tried to explain this through words. <laughs> I think you just need to have a listen. Um, uh, but yeah, with the messing stuff, kind of when we realised that people weren't picking up on the joke straight away, we just kind of pushed it out more. Mm. And I think the first joke was that, oh, JJ, I, I'll just wear a Kerry jersey on stage. That'll be funny. And then it... Bad kind idea. Yeah, and then it transitioned to I have this full Spider-Man outfit at home I can put that on so then it became me wearing a full Spider-Man outfit with a Kerry jersey on top of it You've bust into costume before on a bunch of occasions I remember you were quarter block party dressed as the road dog Jesse James Yeah, yeah, yeah. with Ghost King yeah. I I do enjoy my outfits on stage Yeah Yeah. Uh, It's the kind of the, the DX jersey with Ghost King has become like a thing now that's just what I wear 
that I, I think don't that's where it deserves to be. Yeah, you know, it, in it, meme culture, it deserves to be. It should be uh, profiled there and given a pedestal. Working with Post Punk Podge of Post Punk Podge and the Techno Hippies, who was another highlight of the the the, the stage that you were at in Knock and Stockin last week. Talk to us a little bit about the collaborative single that you've done with him. Uh, yeah, that turned out great. Um, basically, with the, the whole messing process, Donna will form up a beat, really. Yeah. We might come up with a, an idea between us. Donna will put the beat on it. Uh, Daniel will do lyrics. I might throw in a few lyrics. Yeah. And we, in this case, we sent it on to Podge and said, we'd like to do a track. And of course, target number one is always the Healy Rays. Um, as just, well it should be. It's just easy fodder as well. Mm. They make it very simple. So yeah, we released uh, Donkey Healy Rave there a while back. And uh, Podge... Right in time for uh, local elections also. Yeah. Uh, that Paddy Courage, he knows his... That's it. the target market. Exactly. And um, yeah, there was great reception to that as well. Um, and Podge, of course, is just a, he's a genius of a man. Mm. Um, great to see the amount of success and, and popularity he's gaining at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the fact that it's earned. It's not a matter absolutely, of industry yeah. hype. It's not a matter of the right person at the right place at the right time. It's him and DJ Jurassic Park 2 yeah. and... <laughs> Mr. Cash for Gold. Mr. Cash for Gold. Uh, not to mention the, the continued interventions of uh, Dr. Asparagus Montague. Exactly. It's all just such a wonderful story to see play out in front of us. But speaking of Donna Shukru and his musical adventures, coming up as part of the playlist that you have assembled for us this week, you have the dearly departed Aerialist with In Las Pagodas from their uh, their posthumously released EP. Yeah, press F to pay respects, I think. Um, Danny and Donna and Luke and Owen formerly known as Aerialist uh, yeah they were a great band it was great when I came up to Cork here first to see the lads trucking away considering that I knew them down at home and could see people going up and playing good gigs yeah. um, they were known as Red Sky Plains then which transitioned into Aerialist but yeah uh, and the fact that it was very uh, quote unquote not mainstream music um, they were doing something a bit more different than the, the norm um, and yeah it's a shame that they're broken up but I'm so delighted that they managed to get the EP out in the end and in class pagodas in glass pagodas class pagodas we'll call it class pagodas in class pagodas in class pagodas um, great tune speaking nice. of teletext records artists you also have Gilbert or the unfathomable loneliness of the deep space prospector with The Witch taken from their debut album yeah that album was sensational the launch gig was class. Oh, like, uh, there was a fun story behind that. The lads had kind of nothing planned because they, they were all up the walls with college and stuff. Mm. A lot of the lads were in final year. And they kind of had nothing planned for a launch gig. And then about a week beforehand, they came to us and said, we'd like to put on a launch gig. So we were a bit like, ooh, that's a bit short notice for just a week. <laughs> but well, Jimmy Plug you know was what? good with that. Yeah, no, Jimmy was fantastic, Don Plugged. And you know what? It kind of added to this. It kind of gave it a, like a gorilla sense. It was just like, Gilbert are playing now. It's happening. They're not going to be playing anytime soon. It's probably going to be the end of the summer before they do it again. And uh, Jesus, yeah, they just blew the roof off the place. It was fantastic. I remember when they sent on like the early mixes of that album. And I was just floored by it. I listened to the whole thing. I was like, this is sensational. We'll hear from Gilbert momentarily. But first, this is Aerialist with In Glass Pagodas here on Red on Red. Thank you. 
soother. In her madness, his mother had gathered a bed of leaves, and there in a damp hole in the earth, she had begotten him. On the walls of her cave, she scrawled her own archaic art. She clung to its limestone walls, like some obtrusion from the rock, ground water dripping acidic from her chin. In it carried all that was leached from the soil. All manner of plant, worm and dung, yet scarred beneath her eyes, begging not to be fed again, knowing even then that the drink from her was to lap up dirty water.
or the unfathomable loneliness of the Deep Space Prospector with The Witch, taken from their debut album, available across all good streaming services via Teletext Records. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast, and still joining us in studio is a man of many talents, most of which we have gone into several minutes listing at the very top of the show, so we'll not labour at it further. Uh, JJ Lee, and before the jump, we were talking about your earliest experiences, about transitioning into the Cork City music scene, and eventually how you ended up affiliated with the group of musicians that would later go on to co-found Teletext Records. I've been hassling Donna Shukru to come on the podcast for weeks, so if you're listening, Donna, you know where I am. Let's get this done. But in the meantime, you've kind of outlined your role a little bit with Teletext Records. And I suppose really, for those that aren't familiar, Teletext Records is a multimedia music collective with a focus on experimental and left-field art coming out of the greater Munster area. Not just Cork City, although that's where you kind of claim residence. And from within the, you know, the the infrastructure of a label, which is the name that you've given yourself to kind of denote a, a sense of authenticity, according yeah. to Donna in the Echo a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, you've you formed a collective wherein you know, everybody brings a skill set to the table and can contribute to the greater running of the infrastructure that can further boost the activities, artistic or otherwise, of the people involved with the collective. Talk to us a little bit, I suppose, about your perspective on Teletext Records, coming together, your experience, and, you know, just kind of what your role is and how you see this kind of fitting into music in Cork. Yeah, I think with the whole idea with Teletext was just to kind of build a framework that was there. Myself, Danny and Don have obviously played a load of gigs around, uh, not just Munster, but like the country as well. And it is it is very difficult to get booked for gigs, um, to have like a sounding out point. Um, so yeah, we just kind of wanted to get something together there for more kind of left of field acts. Um, not just kind of weird instrumentally experimental stuff, but you know, like Apenum, who we have are a straight out metal band and but we also have the likes of Gilbert who are I don't even know what you put them in they're, they're kind of a, like a space rock sp- space rock is what they go under yeah yeah. Um, and you, then you've got the likes of Rakaya up in Limerick who's doing fantastic stuff and of course we had Aerialist on the label before they met their untimely doom um, yeah they we, became label people that's it, yeah, yeah. They just they got out of the music industry, man, and just well out of the gigging industry. Mm. But yeah, I think it was just to provide a platform, um, kind of similarly to what DIYLK are doing up in Limerick, um, just to have someone that you can kind of approach, maybe if you want to go try and get a gig in Cork. Mm. Um, that kind of happened afterwards. We didn't plan on booking gigs. When we started Teletext, we decided that we were going to have maybe one or two gigs a year. Yeah. So we had our first ever showcase gig back last jeez was last October November and that was supposed to be it and then it just kind of got into well we've got our acts they're looking for gigs uh, let's collab with other collectives like Burner Records up in Dublin or DIYLK 
uh, about doing three city tours. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so we've got Gilbert there who are in the middle of doing a three kind of city run. Yeah. And we've got more shows coming up at Apenham as well. And we, we've just kind of fallen into the whole idea of uh, booking gigs. And I think Donna put it the best when he said we're kind of building the plane as it flies, that sort of a way. Mm. We've recently launched a community page on Facebook for anyone that's attended gigs, um, just as kind of a a way to get ideas from people that attend our shows for what they'd like to see more of. I love that it's gig attendees only in the first instance, yeah. so that you know that it's not just somebody coming along to ask for bookings for their country band. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. Um, because like we've seen so much of that, and it's very frustrating. You want people there that are actually a part of the scene that you're in, or are making an active effort to get into the scene and build upon it. Yeah. Um, you don't want just someone coming in and trying to make a bit of dough off everyone else. Mm. Um, and then I suppose my role in Teletext is just, we're all kind of fluid enough. Um, a lot of what I do is just kind of more so the socials and the press. And uh, I take on a lot of work on the day of the gigs as well, just by plugging holes wherever the plugs or wherever the holes might arise all hands on deck exactly uh, like doing doors and stuff and making sure that the lads are happy when we've got them coming down for gigs and looking after things yeah general man about town crack <laughs> that's it it's interesting obviously that you've gone on to take press and socials for a collective as it is for a lot of people is I suppose reverse engineering your prior experience in music journalism a lot of the time people that are writing about music often enough kind of master its narrative enough to kind of let you know why you should care about a certain project and essentially know the ways and means of storytelling for an artist to get wider attention. Um, but before we kind of talk about music journalism, music PR and all of this in kind of a, a rather less kind of beatsy fashion, um, I suppose just briefly outline your experiences with music journalism uh, vis-a-vis the UCC Express and the entertainment page of the Cork Independent. Yeah, um, it's just something that I always had an interest in kind of growing up and I did English and history in UCC so I think it was natural enough that at some point I'd end up writing. Um, I think when I was in first year I did very little writing for the Express but then in second year took it up more and it wasn't exclusively music at that point. Um, it was just kind of a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I did a bit of film, did a bit of music and then in third year I got the music editor role because I knew that's what I kind of wanted to do I, I could lend myself and I could be more useful in that position and um, another parallel that we have we've both been music editor at the UCC Express there you go now telling you it's a prime position it's all ahead of you <laughs> so I can tell you um, but yeah like and it was a great experience but going into music like that I think an awful lot of what I did through music journalism was kind of born out of frustration from being in bands and seeing the way that they might have been uh, either kind of ignored in a certain way or when they were featured it's very just kind of uh, like a pat on the head good lads fair play to that sort of a way no one really gave it the time of day or from what I saw anyway at that time so when I kind of started with the Express I made kind of a conscious effort that it was just going to be all local bands mm. like 101 people are reviewing Ed Sheeran's latest album why should the college paper be doing it as well it kind of yeah. makes no sense to me anyway um, so then you you big up your not just your mates but anyone that you know around the scene you talk about what makes them good why people should listen to it 
This is the thing, the power of storytelling. Exactly, yeah. You reward hard work by outlining why somebody with zero knowledge, but though it's it's difficult, you cannot understate the fact that you're, you know, you assume zero knowledge in the part of the reader. Yeah. But then you build up that rapport, why somebody should care, why you should care about, you know, messing that have like, you know, like a, an amber leaf graphic on their band camp page and yeah. what their general, their, their shenanigans are or what you know sensitive bedroom poets like Ghost King is Dead are up to essentially yeah exactly like finding the human interest angle of that for me was the biggest part I suppose of my transition out of nerdy music journalism and Mm -hmm. into you know features journalism for the Evening Echo but that also then informed my approach to you know non-profits and charities and local history and other things that I now get to do for the Echo with the life section as well as what I do inside of music is just generally kind of learning to relate to find that point of relatability yeah and I suppose relay it forward which I suppose leads me to the conversation that I've been looking to have with you for a while uh, so we may as well kind of have it on the air where Let's it can it. be of interest uh, it's no secret that music journalism in Ireland is in a state of transition and you and I now we're both doing other things kind of contemporaneous to our to our roles in music journalism and I mean like when you look at it you know, there's a lot of closures, both print and online. Yeah. Um, you know, Remy, gone. State, gone. Uh, certain national broadsheets no longer hiring and or have stopped running dedicated music columns. It's at a point where, you know, print is kind of jettisoning what it feels is non-essential stuff. And you, you could debate that all day and we could we could argue for the merits of having like a solid music supplement in your nationals or what have you. We could be here all day talking about that. Um as well as, you know, obviously the closures of blogs and of other kind of online presences, etc., that for one reason or another have not been able to turn the ad-funded free thing to their advantage yeah. or make the best out of Patreon. Now, for all of those, there are still outlets out there that need our support, like, full disclosure, Nyler9, yeah. who's currently running a Patreon uh, and offering a whole bunch of other bonuses to potential patrons that can be involved Golden Pleck leading the way with fantastic music photography in particular courtesy yeah. of Shane J. Horan and the lads fantastic really kind of capitalising on the fact that a lot of journalism is now visual whether or not we here as as wordsmiths like to like to admit it a lot of the battle is won with what people see in their Definitely, feeds or people yeah. see on, on, on a printed page dedicated outlets like the Irish Metal Archive archival offerings like the Blackpool Sentinel kind of providing a context for the development that we see in Irish music or even the rise of specialist print like District Magazine in particular, really at the vanguard of what's happening with Irish hip-hop. Ever was it thus, there's as much hope as there is cause for concern in Irish music journalism. Uh, Being acquainted with the realities of freelancing in Ireland, uh, JJ, maybe talk to us about your experiences in Irish music journalism, what you've seen of it, and what you would like to see. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely... From my point of view, anyway, it's more of a, a cause for concern. The music journalists that are out there doing their thing, like yourself at the moment, are doing like God's work. But we do our best, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll kind of say in the last year, year and a half, I can nearly count. I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've written a music piece. And uh, I think before that, I was very gung ho and actively trying to um, get work and trying to cover stuff. And there's always platforms there for you to write and to get out your stuff, but actually trying to make ends meet while doing so is that's the problem. Um, yeah. Like, I 
I'm not shy of work. <laughs> I've often done unpaid internships. That like, it's not ideal. Uh, we can get into the ins and outs of it about whether or not it's right or wrong. It's not right, but you know, so they have to be done. But they shouldn't be done. But oftentimes they are having to be done. But yeah, it's it's just very. I was going to say cutthroat, but that'd be the completely wrong word at all. Mm. Um, it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, I've been in contact with countless papers, not just in Cork, but like throughout the country, and it, it kind of seems that there's not an interest there for, we'll say, from large national outlets, unless you're specifically going into music outlets, we'll say, yeah. like Nile or Nine, and the point of everything blogs like that and stuff. We should shout out for providing not only a fantastic. Uh, online music journalism outlet in particular but also leading the way in complementing it with a fantastic podcast that has since become that website's priority export yeah absolutely and as you mentioned there as well Golden Black who do fantastic stuff mm. um, I think it's just harder and harder for someone to offer uh, a staff job there where they can pay them um, consistently and even with freelancing and stuff like that you know from yourself you'll do some work and then it's trying to get the money afterwards god yeah it's just it's a very difficult way to live so I think even when I came out of college first I knew that I couldn't go straight into it I had to build up a bit of a, a wealth uh, funds to fall back on before yeah. I could kind of dive into it again I, I plan on going back into it um, mm. but it's just kind of cooled off an awful lot lately which is just a shame luck I think has a lot to do with it yeah absolutely for myself with the Echo now and I hope I'm not upscuttling anybody in the Echo when I talk about my earliest experiences where I was knocking on the door for a couple of years and you know it, it, it started with just gives a job to like pitching ideas and yeah. all of this back to gives a job and one day I got the email back and they needed someone to talk to Blind Boy Boat Club and nobody else was available and it was a midweek and it was three o'clock I you know made some excuse for myself at the job I was in at the time and just yeah. went and took the call with Blind Boy Boat Club for half an hour and you know I had worked with specialist media previously didn't quite get the the gist of storytelling just yet for a wider audience mm-hmm. but Blind Boy Boat Club is one of those presences whereby even when he's on his Flan O'Brienist yeah you know He's somebody that gets it across with such a charisma and with such a writerly articulacy exactly. that it's just going to make for sparkling copy. And he was on the other end of the phone line to me for about a half an hour giving me a his A material. All I did was ask about his upcoming, the, the, you know, the rubber band that's upcoming play at the time in yeah. the Everman Palace and all of these other things that they were up to at the time. You know, the, the documentaries that they were piloting for RT at the time and... Um, other bits and pieces I think he was talking about writing a book for the first time and look where that's led him since you know exactly yeah I, I sent it back and one of the people working there at the time was like this is fantastic you should keep getting work and like it's a hell of a thing to go from like being stuck in first gear to that happening to kind of encountering different bouts of traction and non-traction yeah. over the course of it and like you're you're saying it yourself like it's tough as a freelancer because not only is there the whole thing of the question of sustainability but there's also the mental health question of mm. am I doing this right at any given time exactly yeah am I taking it overly personally that I'm not getting the email back and someone else is yeah how come X has this and I don't how come they're so far along and they've done this that and the other and I have that and you know it's 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 not rational yeah it's not reasonable to subject yourself to it's not fair but by that same token those are still the questions that you ask yourself as a freelancer not only in music journalism but 
you know, any kind of board where you're kind of, where you're in charge of your own destiny. Um, I suppose maybe talk about how you kind of balanced those inevitable thoughts yourself with, yeah. you know, the uptick of what you were doing. I think, yeah, um, a point that really led me to kind of uh, just reassess everything that I was doing. I was, I'd been with the Express and I'd done the work with Cork Independent and I was doing other things. I'd written for State a few times and I'd done, had I done something for Golden Black at that point? I, I But I had dipped my toe, my foot was well in now at this point. But I think I was actually doing an interview with, uh, it was Stephen King from Fan Club. Yeah. And got chatting to him, it was around the time of their debut album. And uh, it didn't even come across as an interview, we just had a great chat on the phone. And he was at, he actually ended up just asking about me, was I involved in music? We got chatting, I said I was, we played in the band, blah, blah, blah. He was like, cool man, I'll check out your stuff. And, you know, you've probably heard that a million times as well, people say that. I didn't expect anything of that. Yeah. But it was a few months later and they were looking for sports slots for their shows and he got on to me and said, oh, we'd love to have you up in Dublin, in Whelan's. Cool. To open up. And I was just kind of blown away by someone being that polite. Yeah. And it kind of was just... I love it, how you described that as politeness, like it hasn't merited anything, the fact that they're calling you back. In the yeah, 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 yeah. But it was, it was just... Um, it was just... He was so genuine and it was just kind of the, the most genuine experience that I'd had in a, a nice few months in terms of writing and stuff because it can be kind of cold. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and uh, I think just from there then, uh, I just kind of drifted off from the mu- like the writing a small bit. I just got back into playing and I kind of focused all my energies into playing more because yeah. I was seeing more out of it. Different things will take you at different times. Absolutely, yeah. And it's all about the mindset that you create for yourself. And can I do this or can I come back and do this at a certain age and keep myself relevant? Yeah. How can I keep myself relevant? Do I even want to stay relevant? There's so many great things happening in the music scene right now in Ireland. Absolutely. That fly completely under the radar. Yeah. And there's another kind of, there's another narrative about Irish music that holds that it's all happening exclusively within a small clique of, you know, mm. people a lot of the time very well represented management wise, etc. Absolutely, yeah. Um you and I could go on for ages about it. You know, <laughs> yeah. the kind of the, the tale of two cities thing yes. that kinda of happens between DIY music and then later on people that kinda of take the ideas and make them a bit more presentable. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. So yeah, like we, we could go on about the guilty parties involved all day or we could talk about where do you see music journalism in Ireland going in terms of not only the sustainability argument but in terms of either lighting a candle or cursing the dark uh, yeah I think it's definitely going along the way of um, like the Nile or Nine mm. uh, getting Patreons I, I think making it more um, wouldn't say niche but making it more focused as in like a lot of people would read they don't want to read about Codeline or the Coronas or well, I was like going to name names, but there you go. But you know, like <laughs> well-established Irish acts that are yeah. already, you know, they're they're at that point. They don't need any more help. Yeah. The way that I went, like at my writing and stuff, was to help people to elevate them up to a level. But that's what we all do. Yeah, we exactly. All go into, yeah, yeah. Documented because you all, a rising tide lifts all boats. Or exactly. That's, that's yes. The, that's the logic, anyway. Um, if one if one person does well, the whole scene, like is celebrated then because because it reflects well yeah if you're looking at X person because they're getting really popular other people are going to say oh well 
this person came out of Cork so there must be like a good thing happening down there yeah. and then there's just more eyes and it just works my guess at what we're going to be up to in the future lies in capitalising on the kind of more fragmented listening tastes that a younger generation will have going forward mm. and even you see kind of bleeding upwards now to where you know people my age and slightly older are kind of after the teenage tribalism and we realise that kind of punks, goths, hippies all that is dead Yes, everyone's listening to everything so you can be a fan of whatever and now you have all these mad hybridised sounds like God Alone or Messing or exactly yeah, yeah. do you not maybe see it as a matter of people will be naturally open to what the end result of listening is so long as they're given the hook to care about is it a matter of do we kind of dive deeper into human interest journalism and talk about the motivations talk about the muses and the inspirations more so than indulge in what you know the previous old guard of music journalism has done which has been rock and roll myth making you know we don't need another 27 club we don't need yeah. another you know an, another set of lads you know posing as the rock and roll dream we need to be talking about how music has helped people through their darkest hours and how the creative processes has helped has in turn kind of helped them set up a framework around their life like how do you think we're going to kind of overcome I suppose an apathy toward music in a sector and do you think it's going to kind of take that kind of storytelling yeah storytelling yeah Uh, what you're hitting on there um, what kind of hooks me lately alright is that someone will come at me and they will talk about an act but they won't talk about the music necessarily they'll talk about music is the end goal yeah Um, they're just kind of giving you what they're about what they're like that sort of a way and if I'm interested in the person uh, or the band or the the group I'm more likely personally anyway to like their music yeah Um, and I think most people kind of operate that way on a kind of a subconscious thing if someone's at the very basic level if someone's an arsehole (laughs) you're not going to like their music no as good it could be absolutely stunning but if you hear that they're an arsehole there's a few cases in Ireland already yeah we exactly we talk about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get very muddy and dirty there yeah but um, I think yeah from from a writing standpoint uh, I think we're going to have to rely more on telling those stories and uh, leaving it more open not just being like oh you should like this because it's good uh, the musicianship is stunning it's like people have heard that it's very angular yes you know Mm. it's very straight to the point and kind of like oh you should just like this because this is what the best is yeah I think it's kind of presentation way talking about the person behind the music what makes them who they are what's kind of inspiring them to write what they're writing yeah and um, I feel people are just generally more drawn to that I know just from personal experience that I definitely am yeah Um, how do you think we're going to overcome shorter reader attention spans then in that we know where traffic is going we because that it's following Ad- advertising money has followed it and that's yeah. why print is the way it is and likewise like I suppose how do we battle the shorter attention span what will it take I suppose to lay that emotional hook to get people along in the first place yeah. I mean like a pop band will have a very easy time of making a an undiscerning ear care if it's impressive and it's polished, yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could be singing about loving someone forever and wanting to stay together forever, la yeah. la la. And, you know, that'll all be well. But, like, I suppose the use of language, the use of different media 
to do so. Maybe talk to us before we move along. Obviously, talk to us a little bit about kind of how we get from A to B in your in your mind. Uh, yeah, like, it's definitely the short attention span thing. Is um, it's a very tricky one, um, especially in like long form article. I feel which is where it needs to go quality wise. Yeah, exactly. We're already kind of there's already a massive amount of fatigue regarding clickbait. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just trying to get people to commit to mm. sitting down and reading it. Um, I've had thoughts about this for ages, and I just trying to find a decent way to hook people in yeah. is very hard. It's very hard. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm all out of ideas, but I don't think I've come up with like anything decent yet. Um. Because uh, as you said, like the fatigue with the clickbait is just—it's there. We're there already. Yeah, like people are leaving social media. How many people yeah. do you see daily leaving Facebook still? Oh, so many, so yeah. many. Like I, I rarely even. The only thing I use Snapchat as far as, is dead now. That's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, the only thing I'm really on now is just Twitter. Yeah. And for all its faults, it's still kind of it's the best place for discourse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Discourse. Exactly. Um, speaking of discourse when we come back we'll get to some discourse about uh, your solo adventures as a musician JJ we're back to your playlist you have Megan Murray with single Broken Ladders yeah uh, Megan got to know Megan there recently we were on a a co-tour with Megan when I was playing with Laura Duff Mm -hmm. and we went all about the country we had some lovely adventures and Megan is just I I hadn't known a whole lot about her um, until she released her first single there Um, fantastic voice fantastic songwriting ability and her band as well, especially uh, Pat O'Donnell there on guitar. And Megan's songwriting ability has just been constantly blown away by it's it's great stuff. And especially this new one here, Broken Ladders. It's not new, new, yeah. but it's newish. You also have Laura Duff, uh, for whom you've been a session bassist in recent times, with In the Winter. I have indeed. Uh, yeah, Laura, I've known Laura for a good few years now. Great person, great musician. Um, had the pleasure of recording this track with her out in Monique Studios with Christian Best. Because Laura was talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, which you can also find on redextra.ie. And, you know, she was very much into the immediacy of the recording process, how things came together. Uh, I suppose outline your role in the band and your role in kind of arrangement and recording. Yeah, um, Laura approached me, uh, I think it was before the start of last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just wanted to get back out gigging and she was looking for him to get her live band she asked me would I be involved I said I would she asked me did I know a drummer I did she asked me did I know a guitar player and I did and from there then we just took it we had a few jams and from the outset she we had one or two gigs lined up and she wanted to get into the studio and record these tracks and um, yeah Laura's great she just comes in with an idea and whatever we want to put on that idea is just up to us uh, as she'd say herself up to you there's a nice little wink hey. and a nod there for the single that's you. my bit done so yeah and I suppose my bit in the band is I play bass and I'm given a microphone and I talk S-H-I-T on stage well you could have said that in uh, less letters because we're a podcast and we're not subject to any uh, to any watershed but in any case we're going to go to Megan Murray with Broken Ladders here on Red on Red From the start 
So why did I keep coming back knowing that everyone warned me about you? Recognize good love. So why do I still long for your fickle-hearted touch? No, I don't want apologies. Just say you miss me. Everyone warned me about you. Lonely lovers and lonely men 
Music journalist and self-promotion shocker Laura Duff with In the Winter here on Red on Red. Still joined in studio by JJ Lee of All the Things All the Time. <laughs> and before the jump, of course, we were talking at length about music journalism. And thank you for, I suppose, engaging in a discussion that kind of needs to be had Absolutely, among yeah. music writers. Um, but let's turn around to your own processes now. We've spoken a lot about your collaborations with other musicians, your work as part of a collective and your work in documenting others and just generally being the kind of all-rounder that this city in particular so badly needs. So Bula Bus for yourself. And I suppose maybe bask in your own reflective glow of discussion of your solo career. <laughs> um, your first single Thursday came out earlier this year. Jeez, I want to yeah, say. I can't even remember the month. I think it was March, I think. There's too many songs. Like Yeah, there is. There there's are, too many. In general. And it marked a milestone for yourself as it was your first solo recording. Not your first solo composition, though. Maybe talk to us about how your solo thing has come together, what the influences are for you work operating alone, and a little bit about how Thursday came together. Yeah, I think it was just... Uh, I think it was very much so just kind of a stubbornness thing. Mm. I saw other people doing it, and I was like, surely now, at this point, of the amount of music that I've been involved with and helped put out and recorded on... 
I could surely give this a bash myself. Mm. And I'd always kind of been interested in that kind of lo-fi bedroom pop kind of producing thing. Yeah. And I just thought I'd, I'd give it a bash. And started tinkering around with kind of using Ableton and playing around. And uh, Thursday went through a few different iterations. And I was still faced with that massive problem of being absolutely atonal when it tries to sing. I just can't do it. I have tried multiple times. Try singing in the baritone. Oh, I tried that as well. I just, I can't do it. It just doesn't happen for some reason. I could do very shoddy backing vocals, but actually hold like a lead line. I just can't do. So I had this idea for Thursday and I had all the instrumentation done um, and kind of recorded. And then I was just showing it to my dearest friend, PJ Galvin, mm. aka Scenes. And I just said, what do you think of this? And would you do me a big favor and perhaps lay down some vocals on it if you want it? And he agreed. And it was great And he just said Leave it with me And he sent me back uh, what, what was the track basically He just laid down A vocal line He sent me Three different versions of it I played around with it A small bit Chopped it together And put in then All those clips of Kerry Legend Kerry Ra- Well Radio Kerry Legend Weeshy Fogarty uh, Who God rest him I know It's an awful shame Lovely man um, But you know what When I was kind of writing it uh, I kind of wanted to have Like a nostalgic tinge on it mm. And people from back at home, and and even other people that would just be kind of familiar with like the likes of Wishy Fogarty and Michal Murahertig and stuff, mm. you do get that sense of just listening to a car radio on a Sunday evening or something like that with all these clips going on in the chatter. And uh, yeah, I was, I just kind of wanted to put it out and see what happens. Um, it was kind of a matter of throwing stuff at the wall and see what hit. And people got back to me and whether or not they were being disingenuous or whatever, but said that they genuinely enjoyed it. And it was like it was listened to more than I ever thought it would be listened to. That's a beautiful segue to my next question, which is how did you find the reception? It was phenomenally received. Yeah, I was really surprised. Um, like people were so kind about it and stuff like that because there is a big element of humour in it as well. You know, mm-hmm. it is at the end of the day like Radio Kerry clips, Michal O'Marhartig and, and um, John B. Keane. Yeah. Jesus. I had complete brain freeze there. But um, yeah, because he makes up the most of it and... I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm, I'm fairly kind of light-hearted and I tend to take the piss an awful lot. Mm. So that song, I feel, is a very decent reflection on kind of what I'm about musically and kind of as a person-wise. And yeah, people really took it. And uh, it was very flattering. You know, it was great to have people just say, well done you. And I thought, thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> Where's the difference for you then between contributing to someone else's existing songwriting processes and building your own from scratch? You'd played bass and you'd kind of participated in jams, but building all the instrumentation, learning songwriting dynamic, all mm. of this, kind of outline what you do when you're left to your own devices as opposed to working in tandem. Um, I always make the joke that I play bass because I wasn't good enough to play guitar and I wasn't good enough to play drums. <laughs> so it's a nice halfway. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I generally kind of start with drums, all right, and um, just kind of programming something kind of loosely. And I just kind of build up and start kind of jamming out then and see. I, I kind of deal with weirder sounds as opposed to something more traditional. And I, like, I know what I like and I've always known what I've liked. I always just try and, regardless of who I'm playing with, I always try and put my own little stamp on things. But I know what I want to do. Even with the stuff that I do now, I, I'm still... It isn't my true idea of what the music I want to make. It's just mm. that's why I'm limited in the tools that I have. I'd love to do like a Kevin Parker Tame Impala job where he, that man can just play everything and he can just 
do it like I can't play drums so I have to sit down with a keyboard and find a snare sound and find a kick drum sound and but Kevin Parker's are you know they're rare enough to come across in this oh place. absolutely yeah yeah oh I'm just entirely jealous of the man um, but yeah I think it's just I just kind of jam out for a while like the amount of ideas that I've thrown away in the past few months before leading up to putting out a song next week um, I feel and most people kind of suffer from this as well is just trying to force it into happening mm. and I was doing that for ages and there was just the ideas were crap and there's a Tame Impala joke there waiting to be let happen <laughs> there is, yeah yeah well what joke I was very late in the day what's the joke I was about to say that you would let it happen oh <laughs> here all night folks oh Jesus I'm very bad um, available on your inner speaker <laughs> oh Jesus but yeah I, I think um, I'd be very self-critical in a way as well with trying to make beats and songs and stuff that I'd spend like a good day, two days at something, nearly non-stop, and then on a whim just press delete and scrap the whole thing. Not even like save it, just get rid of it all. It can be tough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with Showbiz Baby now coming out next week, that was the first thing that I did in a while where I was actually like, I did it as a joke and then I kind of went, do you know what? As I was listening to it, I was kind of bobbing my head and going, oh, there's actually kind of something in that. Yeah. Even though it is just clips of Amy Duffy tearing into Rod Little. Um, sure he left his wife for a young one exactly yeah isn't that just a great quote like don't tell me that that's just been waiting for someone to make a hook out of that for ages why haven't you made a hook out of it that is that's what the track is that's what the single is next week that well, is the hook I've not been privy to a preview copy so I wouldn't know JJ now I was only mm. formulating the press release today but I have it on my phone and I'll give you a spin there after you the better yeah Once we give it off. a spin next week then on the podcast as absolutely well. yeah. hopefully yeah yeah definitely but um the inevitable remarks are going to come from this and I'm sure you've already kind of received it mm-hmm. snide, snidely or whatever. Um, it's rarefied air you get to breathe when you become the kind of music journalist that gets any sort of platform whatsoever. Mm. Any dickhead can go on social media and go, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. But it's, a diff- it, it's, it's different to be able to articulate your thoughts on a piece of music and speak and write about music in a capacity that, you know, comes off as authoritative yeah. in any print or podcasting avenue you know maybe talk to us a little bit about how your music critique and your ability to kind of filter out what you want from what you don't want uh, affects on your songwriting do you write the music say that you would like to hear personally yourself as a, as, as, as a journalist maybe talk to us about kind of how one kind of plays into the other uh, yeah I think definitely um, I could come out and throw together something that I personally enjoy but it's always in the back of my mind where I go, uh, this, not that it wouldn't be received well, but I just know that it wouldn't, it wouldn't really register anywhere. And it's very hard to get out of the mindset of when you've been taking in other people's music for so long and like really digesting it and trying to see what makes it tick. Mm. It It's all still there in the back of your mind somehow. Um, so yeah, definitely when I'm going through stuff, it is a case of, not that I've heard stuff before, but I've liked, and I'm just kind of, wouldn't say pinching, but I'm taking influences from here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. Um, Like in my stuff, it's, it's the guitar would be kind of integral, which would be from like guitar bands, obviously, but there's kind of elements of like hip hop and, and dance music and stuff in there. The magpie approach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I see a shiny thing and I like it and I put it in there. Um, but yeah it, it's 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 definitely very difficult 
coming from like a, a writer's perspective to trying to do your own music because without constantly criticizing yourself yeah because like I've often gotten press releases in and been like jeez that's terrible and I don't want someone to do that I suppose what's your worst PR foible what's your pet hate when it comes to receiving press releases um god off the top of my head now there's a there's always like a few um I'm just trying to think I got a presser today from someone's list I was just on more so than anything else mm-hmm. uh, describing the the music they're in as an instant classic it's like that's an instant way to get ignored yeah yeah exactly yeah I think hyperbole is my personal pet hate yeah obviously the big one is just people describing themselves as like A the hottest new thing or B one of Ireland's biggest up and coming bands because the amount of press releases that you get where people say that they're one of they're Ireland's they're the thing they're you know yeah there is no the thing that, like that's not a thing if everyone in the country was Ireland's biggest band which there'd like, be no biggest band, band that's the thing and it seems like everyone in the country is Ireland's biggest up and coming band because the amount of emails that you get about does that come down to faking it till you make it I think so yeah considering uh, like how many of us there are to, you know music journals etc to send things out to and we only have so many platforms available to mm. us and we just kind of have to maximise you know the platforms that we have to cover the things that we know that we can talk about authoritatively yeah um, I think as well a lot of it like when you're getting a press release if you haven't already seen the name of that band or artist already appear somewhere beforehand before you get a press release I tend to try and make the effort to open it if it's someone I haven't seen before. yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah I agree with you um, like if I haven't seen the name before I'm kind of it's either going to be a gem or it's going to be someone that is very, uh, like, very underprepared. I would say that it wouldn't be my thing because you get sent a lot of stuff that you're yeah. on, like, broader PR lists, etc. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's clearly because you're on a broader list. There's not necessarily the time to discern who's writing about what genre. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. what have you. So, like, that is just kind of part of the pratfalls between, you know, dealing with music PRs and dealing with music journalism. Mm. But with that being said, there's still a lot of people involved with PR you know notions PR for, for yeah, yeah. Um, but seriously people like Louise Barker people like Blue Monkey who do their utmost to keep music journalists on the loop with what yes, you know, exactly, yeah. developing talents are doing with upcoming festivals and so on and so forth people that have been fighting the good fight Yeah, it's just one of those things where you see a certain email coming in and it's like that's, just, that's one thing I hate about receiving press yeah. releases yeah, yeah. but that's neither here nor there when we come back we'll talk about upcoming bits and pieces that you have but let's go back to some tunes you have Elaine Malone with My Baby's Dead yeah Elaine uh, I only kind of got really introduced to Malane or Malane Malane <laughs> Malane uh, Elaine very recently um, just kind of before Christmas there and started listening to her and her stuff is fantastic really enjoyed it and um, it's it's great like her music has such a good sense of humor in it as well, and it's and not just a sense of humor, but it's so like, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? There's passion in it. There's genuine passion and feeling in it, and it, it, that's kind of rare to come across these days. I really enjoy her stuff. You also have Alex Goff with "Step to Me." Uh, Alex is just a general great boy. <laughs> he's just I've known him with a, a while now. Of course, he's part of the Ghost King is Dead life band, and um, everyone is. Yeah, I think I think you're in it as well now, aren't you? I'm three people in it at this <laughs> yeah. stage. But uh, Alex, yeah, even with his first track there, whenever that came out, Afraid of Money, that was great. And uh, just, do you know what? He's just a really hard-working person. And um, all his success and everything that's coming towards him, it couldn't be going to a better person. Fair play to him. 
And we're going to hear from Alex momentarily. But first, this is Elaine Malone with My Baby's Dead here on Red on Red.
Imagine if I was actually trying, man. I'd actually be such a legend. step to me here on red on red and just before we finish up there for this episode jj shout outs plugs uh indictments of enemies <laughs> the microphone is yours 
get them in. Uh, right. So basically, um, what's up first? So actually this weekend, I'll be heading down to my homeland of Ballyhike down in County Kerry with uh, Laura Duff for Live in the Hike, which is, um, I suppose, a mini festival, if you want to call it, uh, that my dad actually has taken on the mantle and tried to get something going down at home. Um, as you know yourself, you used to go on holidays down there back in the day. I so, certainly did. Um, I do miss the chips and the cruising USA machine. Exactly, yeah. Cruising USA machine is gone. I say a lot of things have gone from my time there. there yeah, there's a lot of stuff gone in general, but mm. you know that's the problem. It's trying to bring a bit of life back into a town that was absolutely happening back in the day. I feel like my generation, especially, missed an awful lot of that. Like I was born in '96. Yeah. So Jesus, you're young. I am. I am a child. Ugh. I'm a child. How dare you? Um. But yeah, like I feel like our generation, especially, missed the glory days as they want to call it so like that now on Saturday we've got uh, Del Rento's playing uh, Laura and um, Deep Sky Objects another Kerry band great Happened lads down in Flahives in Ballyhike down in Flahives in Ballyhike um, on so. a similar tip your project will be appearing in a solo capacity on Friday night in O'Cana's in Mallow Arts Festival exactly okay. uh, cheap plug for a pet project of the presenters uh, 8 o'clock till 10 uh, Ghost King is Dead and Arthur Valentine playing a Hausu uh, acoustic showcase at O'Cana's in Mallow for Mallow Arts Festival and we also heard from Pretty Happy at the top of the show they will be appearing between 10 o'clock and 12 in O'Cana's with help from the Slut Club that's all happening at Mallow Arts Festival this weekend. Uh, give another plug for that single there. Um, yeah, so, and I've got my own single there, Showbiz Baby, coming out next Wednesday, the 1st of August, I believe. Um, so, yeah, do that'll be on all streaming platforms, and I should have a video for it coming out on the YouTubes, etc. Fantastic. On the same day, and also the following day, on August the 2nd, there's the House of Night in Cypress Avenue. You should all definitely come to that. That'll be fantastic crack. Fantastic. You're a busy man now for the rest of the summer, you are? I am, because I think that, yeah, the day after the House of Night, uh, August 3rd and August 4th, we're going up to Arcadian Fields with Messing. Yo. Um, so we've got a DJ set there on the Friday night, I believe, yeah. and we're playing good old, regular old-fashioned Messing set on the Saturday. And... There's definitely other stuff I've got going on, but these are just the ones that I could think of right now. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always definitely something. Where can you be found on Twitter so people can keep, can keep up with you in real time? Yeah, so on the Twitter, which is probably the best place to follow me, you can follow me at JJ Lee NKY, mm. I believe that's it. And on the Instagrams at YoungJage, spelt with the uh, Y-U-N-G, like all the cool rappers. Decent. That's what we're at. Jage with a hard G. With a, with a hard G, yeah. I think Cage with, with the J. Johnny Jage. Johnny Jage. That's what we're after. On that note, we're going to leave it this week for the Red on Red podcast. That's all for this week's episode from Red FM and RedExtra.ie. Thank you very much to JJ Lee for joining us this episode. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to us on Spotify, as well as all of your other podcasting platforms. Every single subscription, every single positive review helps us spread the gospel of DIY music in Cork City farther and farther. So tell your friends, share it on social media, etc., etc. Make sure to check out the artist featured online or at an upcoming gig. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen in to Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM, 104 to 106. You're leaving us with a little something heavy. I am indeed. The best way to finish off any evening, I believe, with yeah. uh, an old healthy dose of Apenum. Um, Apenum, of course. I've been t- calling them Apenum on the podcast like an idiot. Well, like I was as well, but Dave Longan um, of, of Apenum says mm. Apenum. And he will... Now, 
I don't think they're too precious about it. No, this could Hopefully be wrong. Not. I, I could get a violent tweet or text after this and be like, I've had happening. allegations my way already today from the Appenham t- uh, Twitter account, <laughs> so I assume somebody's in the form for a defamation suit. There we go, yeah. Dave Long will be on. Um, mm. But, yeah, uh, the lads, first of all, fantastic lads. And secondly, the music is fantastic. And this tune, Worm God, is definitely my personal favourite. We actually made a joke with the lads coming up to their first ever Teletech showcase event that uh, there's this lovely little breakdown in the middle of the song where the guitar is cut out and they all take a little solo and I bet uh, Killian Plummer the guitar player if he would play the riff from the infamous Dry Roast Peanuts hit Waiting on a Bus in his little solo bit I'd give him money Did and you give him money? This was said in passing months before the gig <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten about it and I have a glorious video that I was just taking so it breaks down he does a solo and he plays the riff perfectly and it shouldn't fit in the song <laughs> but it does but it does and he perfectly fits it in there and cheap pop for the crowd everyone got a good a kick cheap pop cheap pop and it was great crack and, and I you're out of lads. pocket too sucker <laughs> exactly that's it with that in mind we're going to leave you with the song that bankrupted JJ Lieb temporarily <laughs> this is Apenim with Worm God this has been Red on Red and we'll talk to you next week
Red on Red.